whole purpose of everything that we are is supposed to honor God. I mean, I think so often we, we just get caught up in busy and going and doing life, and we spend a whole lot more time honoring ourselves or honoring our family or maybe honoring our world and its problems and its troubles. Really, it's supposed to be about honoring God. Um, it's kind of weird preaching, and I talked about this a little last week. I'm going to float this guy down here again. It's kind of weird talking to you guys because I don't really know most of you. Um, I am a firm believer that, that right from the beginning in the Bible, God said the whole point of faith and life and people coming together, it's all about relationships. Like in the beginning, God said and he spoke and it was right there. You see the spirit of God hovering on the water and it was all about the relationship. The early church would gather together and they would talk and they would pray and they would learn to understand God's word together, right? I mean, we didn't have a Bible in the first early church. We had the spirit of God talking And so there's something kind of strange about this idea of somebody getting up front and just pontificating great amounts of wisdom. Right? I mean, what do I know? I mean, I'm a 38-year-old guy. Happened to be born in Silverton. I traveled a little bit. You know, I mean, I jokingly say I've been 15 different denominations for three months or more. Finally settled on free Methodism because I, I relate to and I understand the heart of the people, the desire to reach out to our world, the weight that we have for truth and the valuing scripture and the tradition and the, the historic nature of it. Went to seminary. You know, I actually you know, crammed three years of study into three and a half and did fairly well. But what do I really know? And see, here's the thing. At the end of the day, today, when we leave here, you're going to come back next week not because you heard somebody who was entertaining and fun to listen to. You're going to come back because of the people who are around you. You're going to come back because as a group and as a people and as a church, we are doing more together for God than we could ever do alone. You're going to come back in a week because you feel important. You feel like you matter. You feel like there's a sense of being known here. And that's, that's why most of us are in church, unless you happen to get paid. Am I allowed to say that? You see, we are here because God has placed each and every one of us in this body. I mean, stop to think about that. You are here because God 
put you here. It's not an accident. And I think sometimes we forget that in the busyness of life, right? We forget that there is a reason and a purpose and a calling for our existence. And not just as a church, though that too, but as an individual and as a person. God has a purpose and a reason for you and for me. I had an interesting experience. Yeah, I don't know, like probably eh, sometime in the last week or so. You'll learn shortly with me, that, by the way, that I have no chronological memory. So if something happened a week ago or a year ago, it's remembered the same in my head. So unless I can tie it to a specific date, it just is out there. Anyway, so I will say all the time, oh, it happened a few days ago, and it's not a few days ago. I didn't hear that, but awesome. <laughs> Learning a bit about me, right? So I had this experience. We're, uh, Jeanette and I had to leave Lebanon, obviously, and we were planning on moving here to Salem. Didn't know where we were going to be pastoring or what we were going to be doing. She's in medical school. And so we just sort of stepped out on faith and came to Salem. And we intended to buy a house and long story with that, and ended up following through. And so all of a sudden we found ourselves going to Salem. I didn't have a job yet. We didn't have a house. We weren't sure where we were going to stay, what was going on. And so like all good millennial-age-ish people, we moved in with my parents. Um, <laughs> so yeah, lots of chuckles on that one. So we're living with my mother. And my mother, oh, and, well, let me show a picture. We, we also moved in with our, our dog, Makai. Now, Makai is a German short hair pointer. She's about 50 pounds or so. We can go to the next picture. This was on our Christmas card last year. It says, don't get your tinsel in a tangle. Yes, we are those people who don't have kids, and so we treat our dog like a child. We dress her up. Put her on our Christmas card. Uh, and then the next picture. And that's, that's about how big she is. She also has a tremendous amount of energy. I figured out if I hooked a harness to her and tied a leash to the inner tube, she would drag them up the hill for us. It's amazing. But she's our little girl. And so we took her to my mom's house. My mom's used to her, and, and she gets along great. My mom has a, a Burmese mountain dog, and they're best buds, and they hang out and do have fun. Well, my mom had the opportunity to possibly adopt another dog. And so they invited this other dog to come over for a trial period. And the dog's name was Bella, and Bella was an African Mastiff. Now... They say that two of them were are used in Africa to hunt lions. But Bella was about 110 or 120 pounds. And her head was bigger than mine. <laughs> and she was, for the most part, this really nice, sweet, happy-go-lucky dog. And Makai was used to being in the house, and I think Makai was a little afraid of Bella. And so Makai did what people who are afraid often do, and she would bark. 
And she kind of henpecked and nitpicked and barked at Bella until Bella just sort of did what Mackay wanted. And it was kind of funny, and we laughed about it. We got this 50-pound little German short hair pointer pushing around this 120-pound dog. Until Mackay took the toy Bella wanted. And we were out on the deck, and it was late at night. It was about 10 o'clock or so. And Bella was over here chewing on a stuffed rabbit or something. And Mackay walked over, and she took it, and she came back, and she was chewing on it on the ground. And Bella came walking over and just stood and looked at Mackay. And I thought, well, this is kind of interesting. And I looked away for a second, and all of a sudden, this snarl erupted. And Bella just attacked Mackay. And I look down, and here's this giant dog on top of my dog, right? And I kick her, and she doesn't do a thing. And they're just, you know, my mom was there, and she was screaming at him. And so without even thinking, I just threw myself on top of Bella and body slammed her to the ground and put her in a headlock. And here I am laying on the ground, the dog in a headlock, right? And Mackay's like, ah! And came down, she was upstairs in bed, and she'd run down because she heard the noise. And Mackay runs over to, to stands next to, to Shinette, and she's just shaking. <laughs> Poked the bear one too many times. And so I kind of got up, and they were separated, and I let go of Bella, and she just turned and immediately launched herself back at Mackay. And so we rinse and repeat. I full-on body tackle Bella again, <laughs> pin her to the ground, put her in a chokehold, and they separated and took Mackay inside, and then you know, I made Bella stop and lay down and, and stayed. And Bella went home the next morning not to come back. <laughs> but I'll tell you, I had a really tough time sleeping that night. I had a really hard time. I was just like laying in bed. My heart was still going, even a couple hours later. And I slept uneasy. And I was anxious, and I was worried and I woke up throughout the night a number of times just kind of replaying this scene in my head. And at about 4 a.m. I woke up again and I got up and I just went and, went and journaled in my phone. And I realized that what I was feeling and what I was experiencing was just this sense of worry and dread if what if I loved fell apart. What if this thing that I have, this, this thing that I value, doesn't work out right? What if my dog had gotten bit in the throat and I couldn't get Bella to let go? What if during the night Makai got up and wandered downstairs and got attacked by the dog again and I wasn't there? What if that had happened when, when we weren't around? And there was this fear and this anxiety and this dread about what would happen and what, what could be the result of this bad situation. And here's the thing. 
we all know that feeling. How many of you have that sense of fear or dread or uncertainty about how things are going to turn out? It's what happens when you love stuff. It's what happens when things feel out of control and wild and crazy, when it's beyond you, when you care about something more than your ability to control it and control the outcome. You become afraid. And if you really feel like you have no hope, there's no ability to make this better or to make everything safe, after a while you begin to despair. And then what happens is, as you despair, you get to the place where you start to hate the threat. Anybody relate to that? You see, this is the way our world is playing out right now. How often do you hear people talk about being afraid of our world? Heard it in the last week? Yeah. Well, six of you. The rest of you don't turn on the TV. <laughs> I find that a lie. <laughs> Did you ever have that sense that maybe there's just this isn't going to play out well long term. And there's that sense of hopelessness or despair. That sense of, I'm just kind of along for the ride and I hope things sometime turn out okay. But I'm just stuck. And how many of you hear people, or heaven forbid, feel yourself like you hate certain people, or groups, or situations. You see, here's the thing, and this is the bad news. Part of the reason you are in a body of Christians is to learn to get over that. You see, if you go back and you look at the disciples, when Jesus calls the disciples, he does not take the cream of the crop, right? How many of you guys know that? <laughs> well, there's a lot more of you than have heard fear. That's good. You read your Bibles. Okay. He does not take the cream of the crop. Does, and he does not take people that all look and act and talk the same, right? Yes. He takes a fisherman. A fisherman was somebody who was a laborer, right? I mean, it might be kind of the equivalent of somebody who, well, I don't know, works on a fishing boat today. You don't have to be particularly educated. You just have to be brave and tough, strong. Know the difference between a bluegill and a carp. Congratulations. And he would, so he had some fishermen. And he had some scholars. 
some people who had studied and learned and done seminary and knew the religious rules. And then he invites this guy named Levi. Now, Levi, does anybody know what he did? Tax collector. Tax collectors were the people who were set up to oppress their own people. I mean, it would be like Al-Qaeda or ISIS takes over the U.S. We're all enslaved. And one of us in this church goes, well, I'll go ahead and collect taxes for my own people for you. How well are you going to like that guy? I mean, so you got Matthew. And then you've also got Simon. What was Simon? Anybody know? He was a zealot. Do you know what a zealot was? We would call them a religious extremist. They were the people who went, we're not going to let ISIS take possession of us. Let's kill them all. You know, a little bit on the far end of things, right? And so here you have Jesus, and he picks these 12 guys. I mean, you have people who literally are working for the enemy, the people who are literally trying to kill the enemy, the people who are just like, oh, I don't know, I like fish. And the people who are like, well, let's study this analytically and lay out all the scriptural theological backgrounds. This is a weird group. Do you think they ever had any arguments or fights? Do you think they ever felt like this is a mess? You see, I honestly believe that's the reason Jesus put them together. because there was within that group the ability to be afraid of each other. Maybe the ability to hate each other. The ability to despair that things are ever going to get better. And Jesus brought them together and said, okay, I got a challenge for you. We're going to change the world. We're going to make this world see and understand my heart and my mission. Turn with me if you have your Bibles. 1 Corinthians 12. I'm going to start in verse 12 there. But if you have your Bibles, I'm going to keep reading, and I don't have all the words on the screen, so you can actually read along and make sure I'm not lying. 1 Corinthians 12 says, The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. 
You see, we are collectively made up of a very different group of people. Go ahead and look around for a sec. Like, actually do it. Turn your heads. You can make eye contact with each other. No one will bite. It would be entertaining if they did, but... We're a different group of people. We're a mix. And maybe kind of a mess. See, here's the thing. As it continues on, it says, if the foot says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, that doesn't make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? See, God intentionally takes people with a whole mess of things and puts them together for his purpose. That is why relationship is so important. And why it's so weird for me to stand up here without really knowing most of you. Because this is about us as a body. It's about us growing and learning. It is about us learning to overcome our fears, overcome our despair for the world, and have the ability to love, not hate. Did you ever stop to think that maybe some of the hardest things you will experience or the places you will be most hurt are actually in church? How many of you have ever been hurt by church before? About half. And then figuring a bunch of you aren't going to raise your hands, probably about three quarters. (laughs) You see, we get hurt. We feel like things are crazy. We become afraid. We maybe even settle into that place where we say, this is never going to get better. And then at the end of it, we begin to say, I hate that person. When I was in Maui, I was in a particular denomination, one of the 15 I was part of. And I got invited to teach at a Bible college. And it was, at the time, a pretty big honor. I felt like, okay, I have this opportunity and this chance to share what God's been doing. And I really felt like God had sort of been distant and away from me for quite a while. And so it was like, okay, God, you can use me. You do know who I am. And I was so excited. And they said, you can teach on 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And I was like, hey, books of love, awesome, great. So I bought books, and I started reading, and I started studying, and I laid out my notes, and I had sermon plans, and I had all these ideas. And then I happened to have a conversation with somebody, and I mentioned that I had been reading a book, hugely scandalous book, by Philip Yancey called The Jesus I Never Knew. 
And it got back to the pastor. You know, he apparently didn't like Philip Yancey. I still don't know why. But he brought me in three days before the semester started and said, hey, I hear you've been reading this book. And I went, yeah, I like to explore and the questions and the challenges and what do we, who do we understand Jesus to be and what does that mean? And he said, well, I, I don't think that kind of thought fits in well at this Bible college. And with that, I was no longer on staff. And it was this sense of like, wait, what, what has happened? <laughs> like, I, I mean, maybe if I was memorizing parts of the Quran or something. But Philip Yancey? And I, I mean, I'm literally printed on the schedules and I have my little box with my name on it until he just peeled the little sticker off. And there was this sense of what happened. And here's the thing. I was really, really I really felt like there were, I was wrong, that there were things that were out of my control, that this person was wrong, and their understanding of what was going on, and the way they responded, and what they offered, and, and, and what they wanted me to do and be, and their ideas of who I was were wrong. So how should I have responded? Should I left? Should I have gotten angry and talked bad about him? I think one of the greatest gifts for me, even though I hated it at the time, was that there really were very few other churches that I could go to on Maui. We don't have that luxury here, right? You can go anywhere. But in Maui, there was really like three churches. Extremely Pentecostal, Catholic, and the one I was in. And I realized something over the next year and a half of staying at that church. That God was working in me Forgiveness and healing through relationship. That even though I wanted to run, even though I was afraid, even though I wanted to just cut them out and walk away, God used the relationships in that church to bring depth of character and healing to me. God forced me to face my fears. Maybe in my despair that I would ever be used or good enough. Maybe even what could have gone to hatred through relationship in the church. You see, this is why God has you in a body. 
to grow your nature, your character, your sense of self. So you go ahead and look around at each other again. Look around. Some of you are like, okay, I'll look. But I don't want to see them looking. You ever say to yourself, but God, that person annoys me. (laughs) You ever say to yourself, I can't believe that person just gets under my skin. (laughs) You don't have to call them out publicly. (laughs) here's the deal that's the point see when Jesus called his disciples he put together people that would intentionally annoy each other so that they could grow and mature And you know how they did that? For him. For his mission. For changing the world. You see, the three things that I felt when my dog got attacked, fear, despair, hatred, are the same three things that you raised your hands about And that surrounds our world. You see, they have captured the hearts and the minds of most of the people around us. And hopefully not us, but sometimes us too. How many of you guys watch John Oliver? All right, everybody who's, yeah, my wife does. This is how I started watching him. He's a late night talk show guy. But he he did a little edit of a conversation with Newt Gingrich talking about politics following the Republican National Convention. And it's a one minute little video that I want to show Because this, I think, captures a lot of what our world is reacting to and how it's reacting. Would you go ahead and play that?
Wow. What? <laughs> See, here's the thing. How often do we hear people talk about being afraid? And it's not just the liberals or the conservatives that push the fear envelope, for the record. I am not picking sides. I just thought it was an interesting perspective. People feel afraid. How many of you think our world is less safe than it was 20 years ago? You want to see an interesting statistic? Go ahead and put that up there. This is violent crime in America. Violent crime is down 51% since 1993. Property theft or damage to property is down over 45%. You are at least statistically twice as safe as you have ever been. Let that sink in for a moment. You can go ahead and blank that out. We actually are in a world that is twice as safe as it's ever been. And yet, how often does our world feel afraid? All the time. It's crazy, right? And part of it is, we are so blind to the actual issues and the actual problems that we aren't even really aware of what they are anymore. How many of you have heard the phrase first world problems? There's a whole Twitter line about it, and I pulled a few of them. I'm really sick and tired of this place using too much orange zest in my bunch mimosa. The worst part about my mom having a cupcake business is that I have to eat cake, and that's all, oh, I hate cake, and that's all there ever is to eat. I had to wake up for the ironing lady to come and collect our clothes, and she still isn't here. (laughs) Salad bar, I cued her, stood in line at the salad bar for 15 minutes to find they had no egg or giant couscous. To say this is ruined Monday would be an understatement. I just had a cup of tea with soy milk. It was one of the worst decisions I've ever made in my life. Like, really? How often do we get this, how amazing our world is, and we get so stuck in the despair and the fear and the silliness? Like, here's the deal. We are children of God. 
Like, think about this for a sec. Jesus Christ, God of the universe, literally said, those people who hate me, I'm going to go ahead and put down all the power, all the authority, all the ability I have to make couscous appear on salad bars endlessly in my world. And I'm going to come down to earth to love them. And help them learn to love each other. You see, he said, look, I get that you're a zealot. I get that you're a tax collector. I get that you're just a fisherman. But I've got something more for you together. I've got a reason that I'm putting you together in a body. I've got an identity and a calling and a purpose. I've got a reason. You see, that is why we're here. And I don't think it's a coincidence that Paul... I started in 1 Corinthians 12, and if you continue on to 14, he goes into talking about the spiritual gifts, which maybe someday, I don't know, we'll get to talking about. But in the middle of 1 Corinthians 13, how many of you are familiar with that chapter? How many of you have been to a wedding? To a wedding? You're all familiar with that chapter. It's the one about love. And Paul goes through the whole thing about love. And he says this at the very end. Three things will last forever. This is the interactive part. There are even notes up there for you. (laughs) But the greatest of these is love. You see, all the purposes of us being in a body, all the ways we're fit together, all the ways we annoy each other, all the ways that we feel you know, the world is out of control and we sense fear and we sense despair and sometimes we hate the people that are around us, all the ways that those things play out, Paul says, look, as a Christian, faith, hope, love. Faith. The opposite of fear. Hope. The opposite of despair. Love. The opposite of hate. And see, we as Christians are called and challenged and formed through the annoying people around you and through looking at Jesus Christ to realize that we live for more. We live for more. We are on God's mission to bring faith, hope, and love into our world. As First Peter puts it, always be ready in season and out to give an explanation for why they see the hope in you. 
Trevor's slightly paraphrased version. That is our purpose. That is our mission. And we do it together. My hope is that I don't just become a person who periodically stands up here and splurges whatever information I happen to feel like God's telling me. My hope is that I annoy some of you. And you learn to grow in love because of it. My hope is that I inspire some of you. And you learn to do God's mission better because of it. My hope is that you walk out of church or out in an interaction with me going, I'm on mission. I want to bring God's power and love and hope and faith into our world. Because here's the deal. You read the end of the book and we win. And yet, between now and then, somehow God is just trusting us as a body to do his work. And so as we come to this time of Selah in closing, this is for me the most powerful element of communion. This idea that Jesus Christ All the couscous and perfect mimosas aside, came to this earth. And he said, This is my body. This is myself. Broken for you. As often as you eat of it, remember me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, which for the record did not look like this. And he said, this cup is the blood, my blood, poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. You know those times when you're afraid? You know those times when you despair? You know those times when you hate somebody? It's shed for the forgiveness of your sins. As often as you drink of this, remember me. And so as we come to this time of pause, of Selah, my challenge for you is twofold. 
Where in those places in your heart where maybe you've had a little too much fear and you need some faith? You've despaired and you need some hope. Or you've hated and you need some love. Or on the other end, who are those people around you that are entrapped with fear that need a little bit of faith? Who are despairing and need a little bit of hope? Who are hating? And need a little bit of love. And I will let and hope that the Spirit of God will just speak to you at this time. And we're going to close with this verse. 2 Thessalonians 1, 11 and 12. Maybe we can even just leave that up on the screen afterwards. So we keep on praying for you. Asking our God to enable you to live a life worthy of his call. May he give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. Then the name of our Lord Jesus will be honored because of the way you live. And you will be honored along with him. This is all made possible because of the grace of our God and Lord, Jesus Christ. Come forward when you're ready. Kneel and pray if you need to. And let's seek God. Faith, hope, and love.